0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, good morning. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why, Jesus Christ is coming to town. He's making a list, he's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Jesus Christ is coming to town. He sees when you are sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. You know, I love this time of year, don't you? But it does get a little confusing. Are we about to celebrate the coming of Santa Claus or the coming of Jesus Christ? I mean, everywhere I look, I see signs pointing to the coming of that jolly old man. And let's face it, now he's the kind of grandfather that everybody loves. Fluffy beard, never grumpy, always full of fun and loaded with presents for everyone. Now, children are making their list, the Christmas tree salesmen are getting busy, and everyone is geared up to celebrate his arrival. Now, for many people, it is a special time of year. A temporary time of kindness in an otherwise hostile world. It's a kind of a lull in the battle. Everyone knows it won't last, but somehow, in the make-believe of Christmas preparations, we can lose ourselves And dream a little and there's nothing wrong with dreaming until we wake up And there's nothing particularly wrong with playing let's pretend until reality comes crashing into our lives and problems will always arise when we give more time and energy to the man in the red suit to the one who was born to be king of kings which is one reason why we have this season at Advent Now, as you know, the word Advent means coming, and most people think of Advent as preparing to celebrate the birth of baby Jesus, and it is that. But there's much more to it than that. See, Advent also reminds us of the second coming of Christ. At his first coming, Jesus came into the world rather quietly in a borrowed manger in Bethlehem and witnessed by only a few shepherds and, of course, a bunch of angels. Whereas at his second coming, everybody will know that he has arrived, that he is king of kings and lord of lords. Now this contrast between his first and second coming is quite a challenge for us. Because, you know, it's easier to keep Jesus as the helpless babe rather than prepare to meet the one who is all-powerful and the judge and ruler of all creation. Well, what do you think about the second coming of Jesus? I and mean, do you even think about it? And when you do, what do you make of it? You know, some people dismiss it as a rather naive, fundamentalistic notion that frightens people into submission. Others see it as one of those early Christian teachings designed to give comfort to those grieving the loss of their savior and friend, but with no abiding truth or future fulfillment. Still others are obsessed by the idea, as evidenced by the millions of books sold by authors like Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, who had that series called Left Behind some years back. But why did it make of all of this? Well, the first thing, we need to be careful, because teaching about end times has attracted more than its fair share of fanatics. One of the most famous was a guy called William Miller from upstate New York. After 14 years of intense Bible study, he became convinced that Christ would return in 1843. He then announced April 3rd as the day, and some disciples went to the mountaintops, hoping for a head start to heaven. Others went to the graveyards, planning to ascend with their departed loved ones. And I've read that Philadelphia society ladies clustered together outside of town to avoid entering God's kingdom with all the, the rest of the herd. But when April 4th dawned, as usual, the Millerites were disillusioned, but not for long. They remembered that their leader had predicted a range of dates for Christ's return. They still had until March 21st, 1844. While the devout continued to make ready, but again, they were disappointed. And then they discovered another hint of an extra date, October 22nd, came and went as did the Millerites. And there have been thousands of others who have followed in their footsteps. More recently, some of you may remember a guy called Harold Camping. He was president of Family Radio, who announced now great confidence that Jesus would return on May 21st, 2011, when the saved would be taken up into heaven. And this will be followed by five months of fire in Brimstone, culminating in on October 21st, 2011, with the final destruction of the world. Guess what? He was wrong. His prediction, however, attracted worldwide attention and sadly ridicule. Ridicule for the scriptures. Ridicule for the one that we trust. So, what do we to make of all this? Well, end-time predictors were especially busy during the time of Jesus. Jews and later Christians faced severe persecution for their faith and life was harsh and there was a desperate yearning for God to intervene. They record the promises in the Hebrew scriptures and we heard one today from the prophet Isaiah. In those days they would beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks and nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But it seemed like a cruel joke because there was no apparent end to their struggles so false prophets were everywhere some of them claiming to be the Messiah while others were merely announcing that the end of the world was just around the corner and that's one of the underlying issues behind this conversation between Jesus and the disciples recorded in our gospel lesson he was sitting on the Mount of Olives And the disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us, please tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the Tribes on the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And then Jesus goes on to tell them that in many ways, life will go on as usual until the very end. And from the days of Noah, as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One taken and the other left. And then he concludes with a very solemn warning. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour, so you better watch out. But notice in his reply, Jesus always holds out hope. In the middle of the nightmare, some will be saved. Yes, it will be horrific, but it won't be total devastation. There's always hope. There's always the promise of new life. You know, Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, and 40 years later, it actually happened. It was horrific, beyond anything we could imagine. But it wasn't the end of time. However, when Titus besieged the city, raising the buildings to the ground and slaughtering as many as a million Jews, anyone in or near Jerusalem would have been justified in thinking that the end of the world had come. And Josephus, a contemporary Jewish historian, wrote, no one visiting the city would believe it had ever been inhabited. And 2,000 years later, one can still see the signs of devastation. But the world did not come to an end. In truth, the appalling tragedy of Jerusalem became the turning point for the expansion of the church. In the middle of the nightmare, there was a promise of new life. What might have remained an appendage of first-century Judaism became the world-transforming movement that we know as Christianity. You see, God specializes in creating hope in the middle of the most appalling circumstances. And God will keep on doing just that until God decides that the end has truly come. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, but in the middle of the terrifying nightmare, Jesus says, from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. In other words, in the middle of the very worst that the world can do, God is at work bringing forth new birth, new hope, new life. It has always been that way and will continue to be so until there is no more time. You see, one aspect of this gospel passage that is often ignored is his promise. See, in our desire to see signs predicting the end of the age, we can often miss the wonder of this day, this morning, this time together. But we still have the question, when will it all end? When will Jesus return? You know, week after week, we say in the Nicene Creed and declare that he, that is Jesus, will come again in glory to judge the living and again. But when will that be? And what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Well, listen again to the clear teaching of Jesus. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angel of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. It doesn't get any more straightforward than that. We don't know, we cannot know. Not even Jesus knows when the last trumpet will sound and time as we know it will come to an end. But don't make the mistake of thinking that he will never come. Because he will. Be on guard. Be alert. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. So you better watch out. Christ will come again. It won't be like the first time. Christ came as a baby next time he will come as king of kings with a great shout and everybody will know the only question is where will he find us will he find us sleeping because we've been too busy with the things of this world to prepare for the next you know the early church thought more about the second coming of Christ than their own deaths and I'm sure that's one reason why they were so effective in spreading the good news of God's love. They were confident that Jesus was coming back and they wanted to be sure that everybody else knew. So, how are we to get ready? We can prepare ourselves for the last things by concentrating on the first things. And what are those first things? The first is we are to live faithful lives. Since Jesus, since we know Jesus is coming back, and we can't know when, the best thing is always be ready. Because it could be sooner than you think. Not just him coming back, but us going to him. We never know. Someone once gave me a wonderful bumper sticker which read, Jesus is coming, look busy. (laughs) Which is one way to say it let me offer another in these uncertain times and they are uncertain nothing is more important than living faithful lives we should always make time to worship the Lord to worship together we should visit the sick take care of the widows and orphans because that's God's priority we should love our neighbors We should do those things that will count for eternity. Which leads to our next insight from the gospel lesson. We are to live fearless lives. Jesus said, they will deliver you over to councils and you were beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Don't be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Friends, you know, one of the wonderful things about these uncertain days is that people are asking good questions. They're fearful. They recognize that the promises of this world are shallow. They're not sure what next days will bring. So they're asking good questions. We have opportunities to share the gospel of God's amazing grace, and we can do so confidently and without fear because we know, we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. We know that. We have no need to fear. And yet, folks, hold back. We don't need to live that way. We can live faithful and fearless lives. There's one more insight that we can glean from that wonderful prophet Malachi. Malachi. As you know, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And at the end of, that, of the last chapter, we read, before that great day, that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with the curse. You see, we are to live forgiven and forgiving lives. Now, As many of you know, Angela and I have been blessed with five wonderful children. 12 amazing grandchildren, some of whom here are here today. And now we have five fabulous great grand- not bragging, but five fabulous great grandchildren. We got to see the last, the youngest recently. His name is Joel Martin. Are you impressed? I was impressed. Yes, indeed. Mm. I take all the credit. I was not present, but I have all the credit. And of course these fabulous children of ours have given us great joy and a few sermon illustrations. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite comes from our third daughter, Catherine. Catherine is not here today, but she is married to Jay Slocum, an Anglican priest who lives, and they live in Pittsburgh with two daughters of their own. Years ago, we were living in Connecticut We were driving along one of that old parkways, the Merritt Parkway and saw a magnificent sunset. I mean, the parkway kind of goes up and down, and it was just, we came over a hill, the clouds were there, the sun was setting, it just blasted this amazing golden red, white light. And we'd been talking about end times, as clergy families often do. <laughs> and so I said, half joking, this could be it. <laughs> now Catherine was in the way back. We had one of those, you know those station wagons We had the way back seat? We had one of those, and Catherine on the way back said so she'd not been tracking with the whole conversation. But when she heard this, she immediately responded in all seriousness. Forgive me, everybody! <laughs> but you know what? She had it right. In these uncertain times, when we never know when our time will come, we never know when this life of ours will come to an end. We are to live forgiving and forgiven lives. And that's an important word for every one of us. Jesus said, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But he went on to say, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. It is that important. You know, unforgiveness, it can tear you apart. It's one of the most destructive forces in the world today. It's at the heart of so many conflicts, both large and small. It can divide entire communities for generations and tear families apart for decades. It's something with which we all struggle. But when we put our trust in Christ, we are forgiven. And we dare not refuse forgiveness to those around us. Now, I know something of the journey of this church over the last few years. I know how easy it is to point fingers, to use those curse words, if only. And I know how much the Lord's heart breaks when there's division in his body. It's hard to do it. It requires determination. Lots of grace. But forgive. We must. So then, how are we to live in these uncertain times? We are to live faithful lives, trusting in the only one who is worthy of our trust. We have to live fearless lives, knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And we have to live forgiving and forgiven lives, knowing that time is too short and life is too uncertain to live with unforgiveness. Okay, here's the quiz. What's the word? verse? Faithful. Okay. One more time. And we'll all be ready when Jesus comes to town. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and bless you for this amazing season of Advent that really points us in this amazing direction of preparing for your son to make his return. Lord, it's beyond our imagination, it's beyond anything we can conceive. Yet You promised it and it is going to happen. So, Father, help us get ready. Get ready for this coming Christmas time, but also, Lord, more importantly, for your return. Give us the grace, the courage, and the determination to do so. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.